so uh, we're back to uh, we're back to just me this morning, uh, our first Sunday of Lent, and uh, we're going to have a good time this morning. So, like I said, I'd ask if you were well, but I know you are. That's why you're here. So it's a delight. Um, if you're watching online, uh, much love to you. Thanks for tuning in. If you're not feeling well, our, our prayers are with you. Lord, we just um, we lift up all and everyone. You know, navigating the complexities of COVID from you know, the myriad of implications that we've been walking through and at times limping through. And Lord, we just pray your blessing, your peace upon all and the situations and circumstances that they find themselves in. May they know your love and your grace, your mercy. If there's fear, may they know peace. Where there's illness, may they know health. Where there's worry, may there be trust that develops in you. And we think of the complexities of all that's unfolding in Europe and we say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction to Lent, and then we'll start in Jonah, because we're going to be in Jonah for Lent. Um, So let us do that this morning. Uh, The Bible closes with a vision of heaven coming to earth. I won't unpack that. We've talked about that over the last kind of 10 years, 11 years at St. Luke's. The trajectory of the biblical story is not us escaping to heaven. It's heaven coming to earth. That kind of flips some things in your head. That's a good place to start having some things in your head flipped and just kind of think through. The, the, the biblical vision is of heaven coming to earth. Uh, the reunification of heaven and earth under the rule and reign of God. The age of the life to come fully realized in this age. Revelation 21 verse 3 and 4. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away amen amen it's a beautiful passage uh the unfortunate thing is that we're not there yet (laughs) we live in what theologically speaking is the now but not yet uh, the, in the resurrection of Christ which I'm going to talk about the, in the resurrection of Christ the, the age to come has broken into the here and now Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection the deposit of that which is to come uh, the incarnation is, is this incredible miracle of God entering into the human story but the resurrection kind of even takes that to this whole other place of it's the beginning of the restoration of all things uh, Easter Sunday, Christ rises from the dead. It's the great in-breaking of that which is to come into the here and now. The end game of God's resurrection life, breaking forth, launching what we talk about, this new creation paradigm. That the old order of things is passing away. We can be recreated. This is this new creation thing happening. Uh, the beginning of the whole world being born again, you could say. The beginning of the whole world being born again. Resurrection Sunday, the par excellent event of God's kingdom coming on earth new reality shaping our loves and our longings shaping our very notion of time itself Uh, with the resurrection we realize that time is no longer circular Uh, most ancient people understood time to be circular Uh, you know there's the circle of life i won't sing that uh, that would be a blessing to you this morning Uh, but i don't want to bless you too much so we'll hold that back Uh, the circle of life most ancient cultures had understood 
you know, time was understood to be secular. It was the, it was the circle of life. You're, you're born, you grow up, you get married, or whatever, you have kids, you get old, you pass away, the circle kind of carries on, and, and life is simply this circular thing that rotates around and around and around. Of course, is, life is circular in that sense. But with the resurrection, we see that life is also linear, our time is also linear as well. That, that history is moving towards uh, the Greek words telos, moving towards the telos of God, moving towards the goal of God, uh, moving towards the plans of God, the, the intentions of God. That, that, that time is not simply circular, though it kind of is like that, but it's also linear. It's heading somewhere. History is heading somewhere. Uh, we, we talk about creation. Uh, N.T. Wright talks about like the, the scripture as being chapters. We, we have... We have creation, we have fall, we have the story of Israel, we have Christ, we have the cross, we have the church, we have this recreation. We live in this chapter that is the chapter of the church that lives between the cross and recreation and has to kind of improvise in light of what's been and that which is to come to figure out what it is to be faithful. Time is linear, not simply circular. The first Christians began to make their day of worship Sunday, the first day of the week. It was the day of the resurrection, but it was the day of new beginnings. It was the first day of a new week, uh, a day of new life, a new era unfolding. Uh, ancient history came to be known as before Christ. We have BC, we had before Christ, and then we had uh, the Anno Domini. Uh, that the year of our Lord, the, the year of the Lord's reign. And then that became politically incorrect and it all got changed. But, but time itself was marked as before Christ and since Christ. It's this, it's this reformation of all things, the year of our Lord. Uh, within a couple of generations, Christians started to put together what we now call the liturgical calendar, a calendar of worship and devotion. It, it evolved over time. But this, this calendar of worship and devotion, where we didn't mark time simply by the 12 months of the year or the 52 weeks of the year or the end of the financial year or the seasons, those kinds of things, the new NRL season that starts next week. Uh, we didn't mark time by those, which was also the same year, we, the same weekend we started St. Luke's in 2011, the first round of the NRL. I was able to say, we're 18 weeks into this. And people were like, how do you know like, we're 18 weeks into like church? Have you been like tracking us? Like, no, nah, it's just round 18 of the NRL and we started on round one. Christians realized that shaping the year by the NRL season was maybe not a healthy thing to do. Um, and began to shape time itself in step with the story of Christ, the life of Christ. Advent, those four weeks of anticipation before the coming of Christ. Christmas, Epiphany. Uh, we're in Lent, we head towards Holy Week, uh, we have Easter season, 50 days, and there, then we have a, a big long season of ordinary time, because most of life is ordinary, there's this big ordinary time season, there's feasts along the way, time itself shaped by the life of Christ, but the liturgical calendar isn't just one feast after another, one celebration after another, one happy days after another, because the liturgical calendar, this calendar of worship and devotion, recognizes that we live in the now, so uh, the now but the not yet. The kingdom of God has invaded in the here and now, so let us have our feasts and celebrations. But it's also not yet here in full, so let us have our fasts and recognize that at times life is tricky, difficult complicated even as life was tricky and difficult and complicated 
for Jesus. Some wilderness experiences. It's this mixed up bag. Lisa and I went running last night about uh, 7.30, I think. We, we ran up the mountain and we came down the really steep track. There's these stairs that are really steep halfway around. And uh, there's this one point where kind of the trees kind of bloom in from each side, but you're looking straight across the Matakana Island. And with the sun setting, there's these, these pink and purple clouds and there's these trees coming out. And if you had a framed it up as a postcard, you, you'd be like, there is, there's no, there's nothing gets more beautiful than that. That's the most stunning, like we live here, that's where we live. And if you put that on a postcard and, and then wrote, I don't know, Fiji on it, you'd be like, oh, I want to go there. That's where I want to go. Uh, it's like, it's the backyard. And yet I just come from watching the news and convoys of people shipping out of Ukraine and convoys of tanks coming in. It's like, how do you, how do you get your head around that? It's this. It's the now but not yet. There's this the, the beautiful inbreaking of love and grace and peace that is expanding throughout the world through the church and the rule and reign of Christ. At the same time, there's the, the darkness and the brokenness and the, 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 the sin and the evil that exists as well. And it's hard to get your head around. It's troubling. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. Well, on Wednesday, just gone, Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. Wednesday was the beginning of Lent. 40 days that take us through to Resurrection Sunday, not counting Sundays. Uh, they don't count Sundays because every Sunday is a mini Easter. And so, so every Sunday is meant to be a mini celebration of resurrection life, with Easter Sunday being the, the big Sunday. So it's the 40 days leading into Easter Sunday, not counting the Sundays. Uh, it's a season... That acknowledges that as we journey from glory to glory, there's some heartbreak and there's some hiccups along the way. There's some curved balls. Uh, there's some tragedies. There's some pain. There's some, there's some disorientating experiences along the way. Uh, resurrection life is coming, but man, there's, there's some tiring. Uh, there's some tragic. There's some thirst-inducing wilderness experiences along the way. Life can be downright tough sometimes. Lent makes space for that. Uh, we practice Lent, those 40 days of fasting and repenting and, and, and turning towards Christ. We practice that 40 days out of 365, so it's not a lot, so that when we find ourselves going through the difficulties of life, like we sign up for Lent voluntarily, so that when we find ourselves in a wilderness involuntarily, we know how to navigate that. We know how to we know how to trust God in the wilderness. We know how to find a devotional. We know how to get good people around us. We know how to reconcile ourselves to God in these difficult circumstances. We happen to this Lent find ourselves in a season where collectively we're in something of a wilderness. Collectively we're in something of a desert. Though we might all be experiencing that slightly differently. We kind of collectively find ourselves in that space. The journey of Lent is to know that God is present and God is faithful even in the wilderness. And that the wilderness, the desert, the dark spaces can be a place of refreshing and revitalization and renewal and reorientation. We're going to unpack that a little bit. So let us pray together up on the screen behind me um, this first Sunday of Lent. Let's, let's, uh, let's all stand and uh, pray together this morning. Jesus Christ. Son of the Almighty, as we enter this Lenten season, 
May your light shine in darkness. May your hand guide in fog. May your shoulder comfort in grief. May your voice fill in the chaos. May your peace reign in distress. Holy Spirit, presence of the Almighty, as we walk this Lenten season, be my eye in the dark places. Be my flight in the trapped places. Be my host in the wild places. Be my brood in the barren places. Be my formation in the lost places. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we're in Lent, and this year we're going to journey through the book of Jonah. We, we journeyed through the book of Jonah in 2014, and I know some of you were there for that. Uh, you might remember the first sermon of uh, the Jonah series in 2014. I had my grandma's red feathered down sleeping bag, and uh, I had that on and just my head poking out, and I was going to preach from the belly of the whale, but after about 90 seconds of being in this um, sleeping bag, I just about fainted, so we, 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 we're not going to repeat that. Uh, but it feels appropriate to be in Jonah again. Uh, Jonah wanted to escape. I wonder how many of us in the year 2022 would love to escape, have thought about escaping, have fantasized about escaping. So I thought, let us start in Jonah. So here we go. Uh, up on the screen, we've got our first uh, passage in Jonah. Jonah 1 verse 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But old mate did a runner. It's a paraphrased translation. But old mate did a runner and rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of of the law. Uh, hopefully by the end of the series I'll, you'll realize how hilarious the book of Jonah is. Uh, if you don't think the Bible's funny, the book of Jonah is almost a comedy from start to finish. Uh, for the first, you know, for the first recipients of this story of Jonah, hearing of a prophet who's going to do a runner and escape the presence of the Lord, they're sitting on the edge of their seat. They're like, this is not going to go well for the prophet. You know, they, they, these ancient people, they're like, you, you, they know Psalm 139. Where can I go to escape the presence of the Lord? They're like, you can't go anywhere. So to hear this, there's this prophet who's been asked to go to there and isn't going to, they're, they're, they're like, oh, I want to know where this story is going. I want to know where this is going to kind of end up. So they'd be sitting on the edge of their seat. It's a pretty kind of awesome story. Jonah, uh, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah instead does a runner. The Lord, word of the Lord came to the prophet Jonah, the man of God, the faithful Israelite prophet. Do this. But Jonah goes to Joppa and gets a ticket to go to Tarshish instead. They're, they're, they're looking forward to seeing how this is going to unfold. The prophet running away from Yahweh. Let's see how this goes for the prophet. And then he's going to go to Tarshish, of all things. They'd be cracking up at that. Here's one. Up on the uh, next slide here. So uh, Jonah lives in Gath-Hephar, which you can see in the middle there, Gath-Hephar. And he's asked to go to Nineveh. It's a long way to Nineveh. It's about 600 miles. It's about a four-week journey. So it's a decent, you know, he's been asked to go on a decent journey to go to, uh, to Nineveh. Uh, a decent walk, for sure. Instead of uh, going to oh go back one. Instead of going to Nineveh though, he goes down to Joppa, and then he gets his ticket. Now go to the next one to go to Tarshish <laughs> instead. 
Tarshish is on the coast of Spain. Tarshish is, it's not like he lives in Gathafar and he's like meant to go to Nineveh and he's like, I'm not doing that. And he locked his front door and like, you know, ordered takeaways. He walks down to Joppa, which in itself is a couple of days walk, to get a ticket to hop on a boat to go to Tarshish, which is on the coast of Spain. Thousands and thousands of miles away. So if you, if you are familiar with the geography at the time, not only is the prophet going to do a runner from Yahweh, he's heading to Tarshish. He's, going to, he's getting a ticket to go to Tarshish. Uh, coast of Spain. Uh, Tarshish was a, a city famous for the size and grandeur of her ships. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a, um, a, a seaport, uh, famous for its seaport traffic. Uh, and trade. It's a dis- it was a distant place of wonder and beauty, a paradise, something of a Shangri-La. If you know Shangri-La is the imaginary paradise city off there, kind of thing. Tarshish was kind of like, kind of like that. We might imagine, you know, a resort on the coral coast in Fiji or something like that. You know, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, to Jonah, go to Nineveh, and preach in Nineveh. But instead. Jonah got a ticket to hop on a cruise ship to go to the Coral Coast in Fiji. It's like, oh man, this, this guy, is, he's, really, he's really wanting to do a runner. He wanted to escape to a distant paradise. And again, there's lots of humor. Uh, there's a storm. The pagans are praying. On the storm, we'll get to it. But the pagans are praying while the prophets are asleep in the boat. Uh, then a whale turns up, and that's awesome. Uh, and then when he does finally preach in Nineveh, like when he finally gets here, he goes, basically he says, turn or burn. That's basically what he says. And then he walks out, and all of Nineveh repented. Uh, the king made this decree that even the animals had to have their necks tied so they couldn't eat. Even the, the animals had to fast, and they had sackcloth on them kind of thing. So the, the whole thing from start to finish is there's so much hilarious things happening. And they would have been loving this. He wants to escape. But they know Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I go up to the heavens, you are there. I make my bed in the depths, you are there. (laughs) Jonah, throw me overboard. I'll make my bed in the depths. Oh yeah, you'll find the gods there as well. Uh, So we'll talk about the fish another time. Why Why did Jonah want to escape to Tarshish? Nineveh was... Once the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, you know, Israel was occupied by a number of empires, the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Roman Empire. Displaced, mistreated, abused. Um, the people of skill siphoned off out of the city. All, all sorts of things happened under the oppression of these various empires. Assyria was one of those empires. And Nineveh was once the capital city of Assyria. So from Jonah's perspective... Nineveh represents basically all that is dark and evil in the world. Uh, Nineveh represents the last people, potentially, that Jonah wants to see saved or see reconciled to God. Uh, Maybe Jonah hates the Assyrians. Maybe it's a a downright matter of racism. Maybe, Maybe Jonah just hates the Assyrians and doesn't want to see them receive the mercy of God. Uh... Because Jonah knows, and we'll get to that later, but Jonah knows that if I do that, he'll repent and you'll forgive them. And that's the last thing I want. So maybe it's just he doesn't like Assyrians. Maybe he's afraid of the contempt of his people. Maybe he doesn't want to be the one that offers the Assyrians reconciliation to God, because then all of his people will be like, Jonah, you've betrayed us. You've gone off and 
made the way for the Assyrians to be reconciled with God, and maybe he'll run or risk the wrath of his own people. Could have been that. Uh, there's no shortage of instances where the prophets were unwelcomed by their own people for the different things that they would do. Uh, later on, when Nineveh does repent, uh, he says, See, God, I knew this is what you're going to do. You may as well kill me now. Why, do, why after the Assyrians repent, does he say, you may as well kill me now? I think there's probably a suspicion that you may as well kill me because as soon as I get back to Gath afar, all my neighbors are going to stone me for going helping the Syrians. The risk, the responsibility, the weight, maybe that was too much for Jonah. He just didn't want to be a part of that. Jonah sought to escape. Like I said earlier, have you felt like escaping this year? Or last year, or the year before, or the two before that. We've had four years of kind of, kind of some turbulent times. Escaping that which God has called you to, perhaps. Maybe just escaping this cultural moment in general. Maybe you've heard me talk recently about the reality that all of life is lived within the redemptive love of God. It's in Him that we live and move and have our being. In Him. Well, who is Him? Him is God. How is God? How do we understand God? Well, God is infinite loving kindness. How else do we understand that? We, just, we understand that love to be redemptive love that seeks to mend and heal and restore and put back together. Maybe you've heard me talk about in these troubling times, we take comfort that the redemptive love of God is at work in our lives, developing us to be the people that we're called to be. And you've heard that and you're actually like, that's nice, but I, I want to go to Ibiza. Ibiza? I want to go to Ibiza. That's all right. I've heard myself say it, and I believe it with all my heart. I'd like to go to Ibiza. Has <laughs> anyone got a plane going to Ibiza? Because I'll go. I'm ready. I'm, I'd like to escape and get out of this moment at the moment. He took the midnight train going anywhere. I could have sung that as well, and that would have been another blessing. But we're just holding back the blessings this morning. Mostly we want to go anywhere other than the place of darkness. And Jonah saw Nineveh as the place of darkness. Our escape might not be a ship to Tarshish, and at the moment it's not likely to be a plane to Ibiza. It tends to be, I don't know, more work. Escape to more work or more Netflix. More scrolling through social media or more gaming or making more money or another martini or four. Anything that feels like just a little taste of paradise rather than the darkness and the complexity and the wilderness of the moment. Now, unfortunate thing for Jonah is that what God was up to in that moment wasn't happening in Tarshish. It was happening in Nineveh, not on the golden beaches of the Spanish coast. It was happening in the city that Jonah perceived to be the very personification of evil. And God's at work everywhere, but... The thing that God's doing in this story isn't on the sun-drenched beaches of Spain. It's in the darkness of Nineveh. As we think about Lent, I think it's fair to say Tarshish represents our plan of escape. Not the space where the activity of God is necessarily unfolding, just the place that we'd like to escape to. On the other hand, Nineveh represents the desert, the wilderness, the complexity, the distress of the moment. Yet happens to be the place where God is doing things. 
When I like God, to, if I was asking God to do things in my life, I'd be like, God, could you please refresh and rejuvenate me on the coast of Spain? That, that would be way more likely the prayer that I would pray. That, that's the very thing I'd like God to be doing in my life. Refreshing me and rejuvenating, restoring me on the coast of Spain. In Lent, we remember that God refreshes and restores and reforms at times in the desert and the wilderness spaces and the darkness that perhaps we would prefer not to explore. And again, it feels more poignant this Lent than other Lents with things that are happening in our world at the moment. Matthew 4 verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit to the coast of Spain. <laughs> no, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Lent is the 40 days towards Easter. It's the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Uh, up on the next slide, I think. Yeah, up on the next slide. And his book, The Night, Night of the Confessor, Czechoslovakian priest. Uh, it's a great book, Night of the Confessor. Thomas Harlech writes, We must not seek to conceal, evade, or elude our crisis. We must pass through them, our crises. We must pass through them. Only when we have passed through them can we be remolded into a state of greater maturity and wisdom. Most of us know from having gone through a crisis that it actually molded us to a greater state of wisdom and maturity, though we would, of course, not sign up for that. So it's one of those funny things. What, causes, what has caused me to grow the most in life? Troubles and crises and pain. Oh, man, do you really want to grow in life? I do. Do you want more troubles and crises and pain? No, I don't at all. <laughs> That's not what I want. I want to learn some lessons the other way, please. I've got to pass through our crisis. The crises molds us. Let's be more nuanced. Openness to God. Openness to God. To God's voice in the crisis, in the desert, the wilderness, the darkness, molds us. Not toward bitterness and despair, but into maturity of faith as we're led to become the holy, whole and wholesome people that God's called us to be. So it's not enough to simply say that the wilderness experience shapes us. Because I've seen the wilderness experience shape people towards bitterness and anger. The wilderness experience when we are attentive to God and the presence of God with us in the wilderness shapes and molds us towards maturity and growth to be the people that we're being called to be. That's why we practice Lent so that when we face those wilderness they don't shape us towards bitterness but rather we're attentive to God in that journey shaped towards maturity. Consider it pure joy. This is the brother of Jesus, James. James, James goes through his own stuff, but James has seen what his brother has gone through. James has seen the journey that Jesus went through. I mean, James wasn't there in the wilderness, but they would have talked about it. James understands. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. We don't want one kind of trial. We want many kinds of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything doesn't mean that it'll be easy james isn't like consider it pure joy because it's going to be pretty straightforward it's not going to be consider it pure joy because it's going to be really tricky and yet it will produce transformation 
From the outset in the story of Jonah, we see God or we discover God or we encounter God in the unexpected places, not the expected places. The pagan sailors, not the prophet. The dark city, not the Spanish coast. We, we encounter God in the unexpected places. The belly of a great fish rather than a smooth ocean. A repentant city rather than Jonah ends up a bitter person at the end. God at work in prison in unexpected places. The back alleys, the side, street, side streets, the dark hallways. God in the darkness of Nineveh. God at work and present to us in the back alleys of our own lives. The places and spaces that we're not so proud of, that we'd prefer not to journey into, that we'd rather keep, keep kind of like compressed down beneath the surface a little bit. Hide from, ignore, forget. God at work in the shame or the guilt or the sin or the heartache or the loss or the pain or the grief or the disappointment or the despair, the burdens, the worries, the addictions, the fears, the regrets, the anxiety or the confusion, all those kinds of things. Those darker things that we just keep that down somewhere else. Don't go on a side retreat because there's no more phones and it all bubbles up. We discover that God is at work in those spaces. That those places are not off-putting to God, but they're the very place where the presence of God can be found. The divine dwells in dark places. The divine dwells in dark places and lent our invitation to meet God in those places. Upon the, uh, the next slide. And Lent, rather than seeking to escape to a beachside resort for a few days of surface-level joy... The invitation is to find ocean-deep peace as we allow God's light to shine in the darkness. If you've ever been to a resort, you'll know it's amazing. It is amazing. Caleb and I went on holiday at a resort one time. Anna had just had a baby, but Caleb came, so that was it's a whole other story. They're going to work through that during Lent. <laughs> you guys can chat with Caleb about that over tea and coffee. God's worked in the darkness, those girls. They're awesome. Snorkeling. Pina coladas. It's amazing. Then you come back to real life, and real life's awesome too, and you realise, oh, life's not just golden beaches. There's actually, like, and if I'm only finding peace and happiness on the golden beaches at resorts, I'm not going to find a lot of peace and happiness in my life. Because mostly, life's not lived at the resort. Life's lived in the trenches of Monday to Friday. So we've got to find ocean deep peace rather than surface level joy. Lent's an invitation to allow God to shine in the darkness and to discover ocean deep peace. It's a season of fasting, of relenting. Relenting, letting go. Eventually, Jonah relents and goes to Nineveh. He doesn't... He doesn't, I think Nahum, I think Nahum from memory, yeah, I think it's Nahum, is, is a prophecy to Nineveh. And Nahum's like a whole book. This is what the Lord declares Nineveh, blah, 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 blah. And if you blah, 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 it's like this whole book of, it's a grand old prophecy to Nineveh. Jonah's like, you don't turn, death. And then, and then he leaves kind of thing. It it's, not, it's not the great... You go through all the prophets, you look at what... It, Jonah's like five words versus like the whole book of Isaiah. Like Jonah didn't make much effort. 
He relents, though, reconciles himself to God. Lent's an invitation to fast, to relent, to reconcile. Uh, reconcile, where was Ash Wednesday service at Holy Trinity, and the, the gentleman doing the, the sermon there, telling a story about his wife. He would have been in his 70s, maybe, yeah, in his 70s, I guess. Told the story of his wife becoming blind over time. They, they would pray and they prayed and they prayed and they believed for healing. She saw her first grandchild. She didn't see her subsequent grandchildren because she'd, she'd gone blind. And how they would, the, the, the kids and the grandkids would leave and they'd wave on the street and that was when his wife would be in tears coming back into the house. And they prayed and, and then they got to a moment where they had to reconcile with God that she was not going to receive her sight. To reconcile that and come right with that and go, we can trust in you anyway, God. We can, we can follow you faithfully. We reconcile that sometimes what we long for in life and the now but not yet, there's some not yet aspects to this story of our lives that we'd prefer not to be the story. We reconcile that with God and we go, I'm going to be at peace with that. I'm not going to fight that anymore. It's relenting, reflecting, repenting, season of renewal and trust. Light that shines brighter than the sun, he steals the night and casts no shadow. It's as simple as this. You're sitting on the couch in the evening. Maybe you've got kids, so maybe the kids have gone to bed. It's quieter in the house finally, so it's probably close to midnight. <laughs> sitting on the couch. There's all sorts of things you can do. You can turn on Netflix, you can... Grab your laptop, you can do some more work emails, you can have a blank piece of paper and you can sort out a plan for this thing that needs sorting, you can scroll through social media, you can read a novel, you can do whatever. Maybe though you could sit in the stillness of that evening, maybe you could just have a single candle lit. Maybe you could invite God to shine in the darkness. Maybe have some worship music playing in the background quietly and you just sit there in the stillness. Maybe you have a journal. Say, God, where's there fear in my life? Where is there anxiety in my life? Where is there worry in my life? And you sit with that. And it gets uncomfortable, so you quickly turn on Netflix because then it's like, it all goes away. But you don't do that. You sit with that. God, where's there fear? Where there's worry? Where, where is there anxiety? Where's there guilt? Where's there, where's there shame? Where's there regret in my life? And you sit with that and you allow the Holy Spirit to shine some light some of those darker spaces that we'd prefer to not have a conversation with anyone about. Where's their anger? Where's their frustration? Where's their stubbornness? Write a few of those things down. Where am I lacking faith, lacking trust? Where have I lost the sense of vision? It's just as simple as that. It's simple as sitting in the stillness of an evening. Being present to God in that moment. Say, God, let your light shine. The Nineveh of my own heart and soul, the Nineveh of this broken world, let your light shine into this space. Rather than escape to Tarshish. That could be a Netflix show or an email or anything. How can anything good come out of sitting in the darkness and asking God questions like that? When uh, Anna Marie was younger, my daughter, she's 14 now, when she was six, I think, we went to um, the Gold Coast. And uh, we were at Movie World or Dream World, I think Movie World in the Gold Coast. And uh, there was a road, road Runner roller coaster. 
And uh, Anna Marie, of all of my three children, I've got Anna Marie and then two boys. Anna Marie's not the risk taker of the three in, in my family. Uh, she's the one when we walk around the mount that walks on the edge, but only to keep everyone else away from the edge, not, not out of any desire to be on the edge. My boys, they walk on the edge because who knows, maybe you fall and that could be exciting. Let's see what happens. So she's not the risk taker. But we line up and we get through the whole queue to the front of the Roadrunner roller coaster. And uh, Anna Marie's like, no. She, once we get there, no, 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 no. So me and Anna Marie would go over to the side and uh, Romeo and Lisa, round and round the roller coaster. Romeo's like, ah, this is amazing. And then they get off and we all meet up. Like, Let's go. And then she says, oh, I think I want to have a turn. So we get to queue up again for the Roadrunner roller coaster. And we get to the front. And she hops on the roller coaster. And it goes around six. It's only a little one, but it goes around a few times. I mean, she's, uh, Lisa and Romeo now are watching. And they're cheering, woohoo! Oh, and I'm like, woohoo! And Anna Maria's white knuckle <laughs> holding on, not looking like there is any enjoyment or pleasure or excitement or anything good about this whole experience for the first lap. Then on the second lap, there's kind of like a a half smile. And then on the third lap, kind of one hand can quickly do a wave when when goes past mum and Romeo. And then uh, by the time we get to the fourth or the fifth lap, both hands are up. It's like, Whoa! And then get off. That was awesome. We should do that again. When we confront that which brings us fear and anxiety and worry, that which is dark, that which is uncomfortable, that which we don't want to confront, when we confront that and journey through it, we discover it doesn't simply bring a moment of joy. It actually has the potential to bring deep peace. Where we recognize, ah, there was a darkness that I didn't want to go into. But I went in there anyway and I discovered that Christ was present to me in that space. Restoring and comforting. And I think it's going to be alright. I think that guilt that I, I think that guilt's been done away with. All that shame's been done away with. You know, it's a process. It's a journey. Or we can just skip the roller coaster and go around the corner and get the candy floss, which makes us happy for a little while. But the deep sense of joy that Anna Marie had post the movie world experience was not the candy floss. It was having confronted the fear, the worry, the anxiety of the roller coaster and having conquered that. Same in our lives. God's not absent. God is present. The redemptive love of God healing. Jonah didn't think that Nineveh should be forgiven. He deemed them undeserving of the mercy of God. I wonder if he saw within himself things that he didn't think could be forgiven or deserved the mercy of God. I wonder if Jonah was having an existential crisis. Go there. I'll forgive them. It's like, oh, but I've got things in me that are just as kind of bad. Can God forgive that? I wonder if that was upsetting. And Lent, we don't escape up on the next slide. We don't escape to Tarshish. We journey through the desert. And we discover the grace, the mercy, the redemptive love of God, bringing ocean deep peace. So my question, where might God be calling you to journey this Lenten season, these next 40 days? Obviously, it's not literally going to be Nineveh or Tarshish. I don't even know which city Nineveh is anymore. Metaphorically speaking, 
Where's the Nineveh that God's calling you to journey to over this Lenten season? I think 2022, probably for most people, we've all been, where is Tarshish? That's what we're asking. Where is the coast of Spain? How do I get there? Anything other than this? You can get back to that after Easter, but in these days of Lent, where's the darker space that maybe God's wanting to bring healing and vitality to? Probably you need a coach. A Lenten devotional is a great way to have a coach that just each night when you're sitting on that couch offers some thoughts because maybe you didn't think of anything the first night. A Lenten devotional can bring things to life. All right, let's stand. We're going to close with communion this morning. We've got